Hello everyone, welcome back to Duel of the Takes. Today, we are celebrating the last ever Academy Awards. Uh, <laughs> I think. I don't know. Are they continuing after this? I mean, we didn't have a Golden Globes this year, so... We'll see how the, the viewership goes, but last year's was at an all-time low at 9 million, uh, which, in hindsight, the year before that was 21 million and was the lowest ratings ever. So, I don't know. We'll see how uh, how this one goes. But we are going to be ranking all of the Best Picture uh, nominees for the year 2022's uh, Academy Awards. Uh, so this is mostly movies from 2021. So the way this is going to work, it's a classic Duel of the Takes format. I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Joshua Kubis and Alden Mason. And uh, yeah, we're just going to do a top 10 here. I'm sure we'll be talking about some of the other categories as well. But uh, this is your home for Oscar coverage. Duel of the Takes. Here it is. You guys all see these movies? Uh... Yeah. Well, there's no Marvel movies, so no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Not in this category, but in several other categories, there's tons of Marvel movies. Are there really? I'm gonna cry. Oh my god, yeah, there's Shang-Chi and Spider-Man. Okay. Editing? Whatever. I don't care anymore. Well, let's start it off. Josh, what is your number 10? Oh, I have to... Oh, no. I'm going to start. Let's cause a little chaos. My number 10 is Don't Look Up. Hey, mine too. Oh, okay. What? I feel better now. I gave it a four and a half stars, and I stand by that. I love this movie. It's just like... Best picture? <laughs> Based Alden. It definitely doesn't feel like a best picture nomination, but I would argue this year... There's only like three movies in the whole category that feel like a Best Picture nomination. I guess I agree. I feel like this is the biggest mixed bag ever and there's 10 whole slots, which is wild. I mean, my issues with Don't Look Up is, um, I think I've said it on the podcast. Yeah, the editing is just not good. It just, as Alden would say, it didn't slap for me. I don't think it's a terrible movie by any means, but like I understand the comparisons to uh, big topics like climate change and stuff like that, but overall, it just once it has a lot of good things in it, but meshed together for me, I think it's a uh, it just didn't work for me. And uh, comedic stuff around it was just too on the nose for me. And I feel like you know, Sakula mentioned this in um <laughs> in our twenty twenty one uh, wrap up video that the movie Vice. Uh, there were scenes where he thinks the, they were making the audience seem dumb. And I think that's don't look up for me. Like, I felt like they thought I was dumb by some of the things they were over-explaining or over-showing in, uh, in their writing. Don't look up is my number 10, and I think it should be the group number 10. I agree with almost none of that. <laughs> okay. Why do you think Don't Look Up belongs at number 10, Alden? For a movie that basically was just straight to Netflix... It feels like a straight-to-Netflix movie. It doesn't feel like something that would be a Best Picture nom, and I understand that more than half of these also don't, but at least those aren't edited like a YouTube documentary. That's fair. The acting in it, incredible. Even a movie I really did not like, like West Side Story, I feel would be a better contender for something like a Best Picture award than Don't Look Up. And I love Don't Look Up. I mean, maybe that's why uh, my list is the way that it is, but 
Don't Look Up is not even in my bottom five. Like, I kind of just ranked these on how much I enjoyed them as movies. And I think Don't Look Up is more entertaining than at least half of the movies on this list. Uh, most of my list is like that, but I did kind of spend a little bit of time arranging it to where I comparing performances to everything else. I get the critique for Don't Look Up. Like, oh, it feels like the Hollywood elite, like virtue signaling and like, you know, <laughs> yeah. making this gigantic extended metaphor for climate change and how normal people don't care about it, but they do, even though they all fly around in private jets and shit. Like, I get that. And I get that some people think this does feel like a two and a half hour long Imagine video uh, with Gal Gadot <laughs> and the company singing Imagine. And I, I, I get that stance. I get that take. But... I found the presentation of this movie, as awkward as the editing is, uh, like, re like refreshing in a way. Like, I liked that nothing about this movie took itself seriously, or at least too seriously. Like, it's straight up a farce. It, to me, it feels like it's, it's a modern version of something like a Doctor Strangelove, but obviously without as competent of a director as Stanley Kubrick, and without as smart of a script... But, I mean, the, th the emotional beats in this movie still land for me. And there's movies on this list that take themselves way more seriously than Don't Look Up and don't make me feel anything. And I genuinely loved this movie. I get that it's flawed. I get that it's not a great movie. But I think putting it at the bottom when there's so many movies on this list that are just straight up boring as fuck. I, th I think that I, I have to use my veto here, if I'm being quite honest. Um... And I'm going to just continue the controversy. I think the worst movie on this list is Coda. Shee. I think Coda belongs at number 10. Um. Uh. I think that the performances across the board are, are very, very good. I think that um, uh, Troy Kotzer is a lock for supporting actor this year. Um, but without a handful of scenes, this movie is not really anything special. It's a pretty generic coming-of-age movie, but the parents are deaf. And I do think that those, those scenes are handled extremely well, and I liked this movie. But... When I saw that it got a Best Picture nomination, I like I was taken aback in a big way because there's a quite a few movies on here. Like we've said, I like Coda, Nightmare Alley, King Richard, Don't Look Up. Uh, I would make even make a case for Belfast. Don't feel like Best Picture nominations like in any other typical year. But for whatever reason, this one was one of them. But this one took me back the most because I remember the day Coda came out on Apple TV Plus and I was like, oh, I wonder if this is going to get any Academy Award nominations. And it didn't. Last year, this movie came out before Judas and the Black Messiah. This movie's old. This movie is so old. It came out in 2020, and here it is, repping Best Picture two years later. It, it looks like a made-for-TV movie. It looks on, like, when you t when, if you were to tell me which of these movies was a Netflix movie, Coda, Don't Look Up, or Power of the Dog, I would assume Coda is the Netflix movie. I don't know. Don't Look Up's got some questionable CGI. Yeah, sure it does. Like, Well, so does Nightmare Alley. Yeah, but I mean, Nightmare Alley, I just, I expected that. Because that's just, that's, that's just his style. But like, Don't Look Up straight up, like, has some bad CGI. <laughs> like, I, I would have an issue with it if the CGI and Don't Look Up was like, if the, if the, movie was supposed to be like an action like if the movie was armageddon i would be like oh my god this cgi is atrocious 
But that's my issue is, like, don't look up, like, didn't, like, overcommit to anything. And, like, you could say that's a plus, but I don't know. DiCaprio's performance, especially in the beginning, felt like uh, Jeff Goldblum in Independence Day. Like, he was doing his best impression of that. And that kind of took me out of the beginning for a second. I don't really think so. I, I, I felt like he was very, very believable as just some scientist from the Midwest. I think they brought up his looks too much. Yeah, but that wasn't at the beginning. Throughout the film, though. They brought it up a lot. That's what we do. Like, that's what we as a society do. Why the fuck do you think uh, Hollywood is so invested in Zelensky and what's going on in the Ukraine? It's because they have a former TV actor and comedian who is now their prime minister slash president. And it's like, oh, if he wasn't hot, we would not care. (laughs) That's just what it is, what it is. So I think it's funny that they bring up the fact that this guy's so good looking and he gets a lot more uh, attention and a lot more publicity because he is a good looking talking head and is uh, interviews better than some screaming psycho lady. By the way, Jennifer Lawrence, this is the best she's ever been in a movie. I agree. Yeesh. I mean, what's your take? What's her best performance? I don't really like Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, me neither. But I like her in this movie. Uh, hello, mother. I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I do like mother. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's a good movie. Why do we fundamentally disagree about movies Jennifer Lawrence is in? She's a very polarizing figure. Oh, Silver Linings Playbook. She's Yeah, that's a good one. She's too young in that movie, but it's it's a good one. Character's supposed to be like 34. She's like 19. Yikes. Oh, Red Sparrow, of course. (laughs) For me personally, I just got a lot more entertainment value out of Don't Look Up. And I also like that it was such a polarizing movie. Like, I, I wish that it wasn't. Like, I wish more people either... Uh, you know, could look past the like cynicism of the film and like embrace it for what it is. Cause I, I do think it is a good comedy. I, I get like it, it's theming and it's stuff. It's like, it, it's presentation. All that is so on the nose and I get why it turns people off. But I mean, shit, I would watch don't look up before watching over half the movies on this list again to, to kind of defend Coda for a little bit. And Silver's Li- Silver Linings Playbook kind of reminded me of this, as we make fun of the Oscars a lot, and rightfully so, but a thing I do enjoy about the Academy Awards every year is that it reminds, like, in, especially now in the years where we are, when we are bombarded by superhero movies or these big gigantic blockbusters, we, st- we are still, like, in such a good era of film, no matter the budget or the size and movies like Coda remind me of that. And I I am a sucker for a good movie about family also. I think it has a lot of heart. Like, it's flawed, no doubt. Just like Don't Look Up. It had a $10 million budget. Oh my god. As far as the Academy goes, I would want more movies like Coda to get recognition than a Don't Look Up. I don't... Nobody gives a fuck that Don't Look Up got a nomination here. We know it's not winning. Like, who cares? That's fair. I mean, I genuinely liked Coda for what it was, but I mean, it also feels so it, to me like the the acting in like the the specific like scenes of Coda, I genuinely in, enjoy. Like it's a it's a competent coming of age movie. But even within the past 5 years of Academy Awards, there's been better ones. I would argue that Belfast is a better movie about family and a better movie about coming of age than Coda. There's been better uh, movies like Don't Look Up that's been nominated for Best Picture, like Vice. We could go into that argument as well. Sure. I, I don't think Vice is as much of a farce as Don't Look Up is, but yeah. I. That's good. 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, Vice is the better movie. I'm not saying it's not. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not that, like, <clears throat> intent on Don't Look Up being last because Coda would be my next place. But I guess I've already said it, so... I liked your take, Alden. I really did. I just... I love the movie, but the fact that it was nominated for Best Picture baffles me. You might have the best final list of all of us. I'm going to be very curious about it. I doubt it. All right, so here it is. Don't Look Up at number 10. I mean, it it fits. It's the only Best Picture nominated movie with a Rotten Tomatoes score if you're a normie. Uh, That's that's a good way to judge. It's rocking like a 53% or something like that. Has Rotten Tomatoes fixed their site yet? It's been broken for like seven years. I will say Don't Look Up is the only movie I've given a five star to uh, out of these 10. It has a 55%. Oh, it went up a little bit. That's good. That's lower than The Eternals. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) The audience score, though, is 78%. People seem to have liked it, I guess. Alden, what is your number nine? Coda. I agree. Is there anything else that you guys want to nominate here? Because I could see a fun little debate happening, but... Nightmare Alley was my next. I can drop something else. We could have a three-way debate on this if you want. So, uh, Coda, yeah. What uh, what about it, Alden? Why is Coda this low for you? Well, I mean, you're right. It is just kind of a standard coming-of-age story with a twist that her family's deaf. And it sets a lot of precedent in terms of actually having deaf actors play these characters. Yeah. They're very, very, very good in the movie. Yeah. No, I was surprised by people I've never seen before on screen being this good in a movie. i pretty sure I watched this on my phone on a flight, so uh, get real. Get real. I'm trying to remember when I watched this, because I don't know if it was when I was sitting next to Josh's neighbor or another time. Sitting next to Josh's neighbor? Yeah, there was someone that was like two streets over from you. Sitting next to me on one of the flights to Scranton. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. (laughs) Yeah, you mentioned Mayfield. Yeah, I I looked it up, too, because she was just holding her address out. And I'm like, what is going on? Future Nate, block that out. Don't dox me. You don't live in Mayfield anymore. (laughs) (laughs) My parents still do. All right, everyone. (laughs) Here's Josh's parents' address. Please egg their house. For me putting Don't Look Up at number 10. You fuck with me. You fuck with all of us. My Riddler army throwing eggs at your parents' house. I would like to point out that my father really likes Don't Look Up. I'd like to point out that my father really likes Nate. He asks about him all the time. (laughs) I I think Coda's a a good movie. I I don't think... I I wish that the uh, attention to detail with the casting was something that translated to the visual presentation of the movie as well. Mm -hmm. It bothers me how much this, like, the sets look like they're on a fucking sitcom soundstage. It bothers me that the lighting is so, like, flat and, like, uninspired. Like, it genuinely looks like a Lifetime original movie from its presentation. But, like, the story in in better directing hands probably could be... Uh, on on the same caliber of something like a uh, Manchester by the Sea or Goodwill Hunting, in terms of like the emotional beats that the story hits are very very impactful and it is moving, but it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's on the caliber of anything else on this list. Um, except Don't Look Up, I guess. There's a couple of movies I could put in this spot. There's one in particular I am perfectly fine with going here. Its uniqueness is that her family is deaf. There's not really 
anything else that makes it stand above other movies of that same like genre category i mean the the dynamic of the family though is very good like yeah no i mean it's really good don't get me wrong i just i feel like i've seen other coming of age stories where the acting was just as good and they weren't best picture noms I like that she's, like, you know, actively trying to pursue a career in music, and there's also, like, that, like, small-town upbringing, like, her parents are fishermen, like, you know, it, it, yeah. it's very, like, blue-collar America in, in a lot of ways, and I, I don't think it makes that, it doesn't lean into the stereotypes associated with blue-collar America in today's sense. This feels like a very genuine family. And I think that that's really powerful and really important. You know, maybe that's one thing that Don't Look Up could learn from Coda is not to belittle the audience, the mainstream audience. Yeah, like the average viewer. <laughs> um, but also this movie's just decrepitating on Apple TV Plus. So I don't think the people that would really appreciate this movie even know it exists. It's weird that the release date says August 2021 when I definitely watched it well before that i'm curious to see what the uh the writer and director uh does after this i feel like this movie has given uh uh cyan heater a a large amount of exposure oh yeah and i i feel like her follow-up to this could be more along the lines of what i'm looking for in terms of visual style and and uh you know taking the elements associated with this story and incorporating them into the film like uh last year i think it was uh sound of metal was a very very stylistically uh inclined way to tell a story with a character who's losing his hearing like i thought that that was incredibly uh, uh well articulated and obviously these movies are going for different things but there's nothing in coda that's uh reminiscent of that kind of reminiscence we got to go back in the tank Ooh, Reminiscence, yeah. Why didn't that get a Best Picture nomination? That's the same tier of movie as Nightmare Alley. It literally, you could have replaced Reminiscence with Nightmare Alley, and I wouldn't have batted an eye. (laughs) (laughs) Is that not the same movie? (laughs) (laughs) It is my turn to nominate a movie at number eight. The lowest movie I have left is King Richard. Wow. But Nightmare Alley's my eight, so I'm fine with either one of those. I would like to throw out West Side Story. (laughs) (laughs) so nightmare alley the reason why i have king richard lower is kind of similar to coda where like i think king richard is elevated into this like caliber of movie by the performances like i think i like that will smith feels like he's playing a character like i was able to dissociate the fact that will smith was the main character of this movie which is something i have a hard time doing a lot of other vehicles he's had especially ones where he um he like steps away from himself more like when i think of uh this era of will smith's career in oscar bait i think of like concussion that movie didn't feel like i was watching will smith in it but it also felt like i was watching will smith do a really bad accent and like (laughs) uh almost like a a caricature of a real person whereas this i genuinely believe uh richard williams as a a character and i i think he's an asshole like i don't think he's a good character but i do think that that's kind of like the point of the movie is like he he did raise his daughters to be these these uh, like superstar athletes and you know really try to open every door he possibly could for them and i i think that that is a really beautiful message where this movie f- kind of falters for me is in the writing 
I don't like how on the nose every single thing is. Or like if you're familiar with the story, the different pro players that they bump into, it feels like I'm watching something like Bohemian Rhapsody where it's like, oh, if you know, you know, like there's all these like little winks to like what the uh, Serena and Venus Williams careers look like down the line in this movie where they're like 10 years old. And it's just a little like on the nose. I also think the movie kind of slows down a little too much in the second act where it feels like it's just training montage after training montage. I don't know. It kind of just has sports movie syndrome fatigue. I agree. It has the same pacing of a lot of other successful sports movies. I I do genuinely think that Will Smith is good in this movie. I also think that um, uh, Anjanou Ellis is is good in this movie as well. The kids are are both great. The ensemble's like like com- like like fine. John Bernthal's a meme when he shows up for a little bit. That's good though. I feel like this is just like we get one of these every year where it's like the acting's great, the story's whatever you know, and that's this movie this year. Um, I do think Will Smith will win the category, though. It feels like uh, John Bernthal's character was very similar to when he played Lee Iacocca in Ford v. Ferrari. Mm -hmm. Those two characters felt almost identical to me, except he had a mustache in this one. Nate, is this uh, closer to Moneyball tier or closer to, like, Miracle tier? Closer to Miracle, but I think both of those movies are better than this. Oh, okay. I think that this is closer to, like, Tin Cup with Shia LaBeouf. Ooh. Or uh, maybe, like, Trouble with the Curve. <laughs> I like that movie. I could see that, actually. Like, I, li- I like that movie, too, and I think it's got good performances in it, but, I mean, the script is really nothing special. Timber likes a meme in it. There's a couple of, like, blindsidey moments in there as well, like when Richard's just at the tennis court by himself in uh, Compton and hitting balls and just booling and then a random group of street thugs are like we're gonna come back here and gangbang your 10 year old daughter and then he punches one of them and then he gets mugged and then he's like i'm gonna go get my glock and he goes to get a gun and then some other guy shoots the guy he's gonna shoot and i'm like wow this feels like i'm watching an entirely different movie in the same way that the scenes when they take michael back to the hood and the blind side feel like it's um I don't know. It feels like it's coming from a very a very suburban view of what a bad neighborhood is. Yeah. It doesn't feel real. And I doubt that that thing actually... Like, I doubt that scene happened in real life and the way the rest of this movie is trying to present itself. It, it just comes across as emotionally manipulative. Um, but Josh, you said you had Nightmare Alley at your number nine, right? Uh, do you want to make a case for that here? Uh, I mean, it could be here or seven. Uh, Nightmare Alley, I think, has a great opening it locks you right in and uh but i think just going into the second half the movie just like completely stops for me and then it just starts going at like a snail's pace and like i don't know you watch any movie about a character self-inflicting self-sabotaging itself you know what's going to happen to bradley cooper's character in this film the writing was on the wall like it was too dialogue heavy like they mention that he doesn't drink like five times and i'm like i get it he's gonna become a fucking alcoholic i love how if there's ever a character in a movie or tv show that's like oh yeah i'm sober it's like a ticking clock to when they're gonna relapse <laughs> yeah and this one just felt so like dialogue heavy when it didn't have to be like of course it's like a noir and noir has a lot of dialogue man like if you're gonna remake something like this at least modernize it a little bit i get that i also understand that like it's guillermo del toro and this is like post him winning best director and 
best picture for Shape of Water, so he's gonna make the movie that he wants. And like, I I get like this movie like of the ten that are nominated is the one that feels the most like throwbacky Hollywood, and I think Hollywood kind of like loves those self-serving movies. <clears throat> and I do think a lot of the pacing issues of this movie are a product of the fact that it is a remake of a movie from like 1938 or something like there's good moments within it. And I like the ending a lot. I, I think that Bradley Cooper is actually really good in this movie, even if his character is written very one note and you know exactly where it's going to go. I do think that there is enough like twists and turns in this story that make it interesting but it's definitely not a turn on at one o'clock in the morning type vibe. Like, uh. I don't know. I enjoyed seeing this movie in a theater quite a bit. Um, I don't think the visual effects and the production design were as strong as they have been in other Guillermo del Toro movies. But I genuinely was ca- like, I, I liked the setting. I liked the time era that it was set in. I liked the costume design and like the circus kind of carnival aesthetics. I don't think it elevates itself beyond what the original is. It's just a like a remake. And I mean, the acting across the board is pretty competent. I think Kate Blanchett's good in this. I think... Um, she terrifies me just in general, but definitely in this movie. I also like Rooney Mara a lot, too. I, I, I don't think I can think of a time I've heard her do a southern accent before, and I think she nailed it yeah. quite well. Like, it doesn't sound like a character doing a southern accent. It's, it sounds very believable in her in her vocal register, which is not something I'd expect from her, seeing as how, you know, she's got a pretty wide range of movies. And uh, I don't know. She's just very talented. I I thought that this movie was fine. It doesn't feel like a Best Picture nomination, but I guess when you've got a name like Guillermo del Toro behind the vehicle, sure, why not elevate it? I think it's hilarious that this movie had just as hard of a time finding an audience in the box office as, uh, uh, you know, The Last Duel and, uh, you know, all these other... Uh, movies that were projected to be big Oscar bait and uh, well I think this movie came out opening weekend of Spider-Man yeah it did yeah (laughs) yeah so I guess we're gonna put it to a vote King Richard or Nightmare Alley for number eight King Richard yeah King Richard's fine here we are now at number seven Josh is it Nightmare Alley time it could be Nightmare Alley it could uh yeah, uh, I mean, there might be discussions for maybe a Belfast here or something else. Yeah, I was thinking Belfast could possibly happen. At number seven, I have West Side Story. Sheesh. I have West Side Story as my lowest, so um, that would be great. I think it's kind of interesting that we have Nightmare Alley and West Side Story in discussion at the same spot, because I have the same major problems with both of them. I think West Side Story is the better made movie. I think it's a lot more ambitious. I think the the choreography is great. I like the cinematography a whole lot more than the cinematography of Nightmare Alley. I think the performances are are pretty good. Uh, there's this, there's more standouts in West Side Story in the ensemble cast than there is um, in that of of Nightmare Alley. Like I think uh, Rachel Zegler as uh, Maria is great. Uh, Ariana DeBose as uh, Anita is is great as well i i honestly josh you said there's a timeline where she's gonna win best supporting actor yeah i could see it i really could i i think that that i'm gonna lock it in lock it in live on the podcast supporting actress uh for ariana debose would be awesome and i liked rita moreno kind of you know stepping into a, a 
you know, from the original West Side Story into a new supporting role in this movie. Um, I thought that that was cool. I like the few things that they do add to this as opposed to the original and as opposed to the stage play. But I almost think there should have been more added because this straight up didn't need to be made in the same way that Nightmare Alley didn't need to be made. I love Spielberg. Uh, I mean, I think he's one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. But even though this movie was really, really good, it doesn't touch his other great movies. Not e- not even close. They're, they're, this is lacking originality in almost every frame of it. Uh, and I think that's just a detriment to he is like the biggest West Side Story fan. <laughs> that's true. I mean, it is a faithful like, <laughs> hey, if you like the original musical, you're going to probably like this movie quite a bit. Yeah. But I also think the original movie has held up pretty, pretty good, all things considered, obviously, with the casting and, you know, it being a product of the 1960s. There's a lot of things that could be better. But I would be hard-pressed to say I'd rather watch this than the original. Chino is hotter than Tony. She made a mistake. (laughs) (laughs) I think both West Side Story and Nightmare Alley have major problems in their pacing department. Both movies could have been... Oh yeah, West Side Story's pacing bothered me so bad. Why is this over two and a half hours long? The the original's like over three and a half hours, I think. Disgusting. I could be wrong, but I know it's very, very long. I don't think it's over three hours. It's uh, it's also two hours and 33 minutes. It's literally almost the same. Oh, okay. I guess I can't be that angry, but I'm still angry because it just took too long. I didn't care about a single character in this movie. I mean, it's based off of a Broadway play. Broadway plays are very long yes but i would like to sit through a play i don't want to sit through this movie it did look incredible though the cinematography of west side store honestly i wouldn't even be pressed to see it win best cinematography yeah i'd be fine with it and i like how much of it they did shoot in new york like that's it's really hard to do period stuff in in new york currently uh, just with the skyline always changing and the buildings and the, the things being lifted, but uh, they shot part of it like down the street from where I live. So it's kind of cool to see uh, what a major Hollywood studio can do to the East Coast in the same way that like, you know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was able to use a lot of exteriors of Los Angeles and make it look, you know, like it did in the 60s. Doing that for West Side Story was pretty neat, too. I I do appreciate the production design quite a lot. I actually enjoyed Nightmare Alley, where I was waiting for it to end when watching West Side Story. I mean, they're both unnecessary remakes. It's just going to come down to which one we like more. Like, the problems I have with Nightmare Alley are the same with West Side Story. I just like West Side Story a little bit more. Yeah, I also like West Side Story a little bit more. I have it at number seven and uh, Nightmare Alley's number eight for me. Like the biggest problem I have with both of these is that they don't make themselves stand out enough from their original counterparts. But I think if there was a movie that could have done more and been more unique, uh, it's Nightmare Alley for sure. Like, I don't know how Guillermo del Toro, del Toro didn't lean into his really cool creature effects and, uh, you know, bring a little bit more of, like, a fantasy element to this. Like, I get that it's not the story, but why not? Do what you're good at. I, I I like Shape of Water a lot for what it is. I think it's, like, analogs to, you know, different types of relationships and things like that is kind of cringe. But <laughs> from furry, a, an entertaining tendencies. movie standpoint, uh, Shape of Water is cool. Like, I, I dig that movie. I like its kind of throwbacky vibe. And I was hoping that Nightmare Alley would be something like that. But for whatever reason, they advertised this movie as like a horror movie. Like, the marketing for Nightmare Alley was atrocious. 
they it comes at night up. <laughs> <laughs> they really do be doing that. All right. Nightmare Alley, number seven. Uh, Alden, what do you want to see at number six? West Side Story. Belfast has been on the chopping block. Yeah, but I have it two places above West Side Story. I have Nightmare Alley above Belfast. Belfast is cool. Good for Lockhart. It's the right kind of British propaganda. Yeah, I liked Belfast a lot, and I don't think it's like a fantastic movie or like best movie of the year or anything like that. Like, it kind of feels odd to see it in this category. Um, not not that weird, though, because it feels like kind of typical Oscar bait, but I, I liked that it was, one, it's the shortest movie by a lot. This movie's like 95 minutes with credits. Like, this is just a quick little in and out. I think it's a really, it's a really crowd-pleasing movie. Like, I, I think people would be hard-pressed to not enjoy this movie. Like, I would watch this with my family on, like, a holiday or something. Like, there's nothing in it that is, like, too melodramatic like there's definitely some really cringy scenes with like um you know the whole uh the riots and stuff that are going on and why uh you know the the area isn't safe to live in and there's not enough scenes where the characters are seriously analyzing the situation that they're in and i think that that's kind of what like ties this movie down is at the end of the day it's a slice of life coming of age movie about a kid in a war-torn part of the country it's charming and it's like cute to see this like pretty decent child performance like running around with his grandparents and just getting into hijinks my favorite scenes in this movie are when they're going to see movies in the theater and i think that's like kind of the self-indulgent like hey hollywood look at look at us look how great we are because the whole movie is in black and white but then like the movies that they're watching Like, uh, they watch, like, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. There's, like, a couple other notable ones. They're all presented in color. And so, like, the grandma, played by Judi Dench, who's probably going to get the supporting actress, I guess. (laughs) You know, she's sitting there watching the movie, and she's got these big old glasses on, and the reflection's in color. And, like, that that's kind of cool, because, like, they're living in England, so obviously things are really depressing and sad. And then they're, like, watching this movie, and it's like, oh, it's, it's bright, and it's vibrant, and, like... That, that theme of escapism, I think, really explains why Kenneth Branagh grew up to be uh, someone who cared so much about art and cared so much about theater and movies and, and things of that nature as a way to pull himself out of the uh, you know upbringing that he was in. That, to me, is better than anything in West Side Story. I'd also like to point out it's the shortest of the best picture noms, and I respect it greatly for that. For all but two of these movies to be an hour or two and a half hours or more, that annoys me. Especially West Side Story, it really didn't need to be that long. Nightmare Alley could have shortened the middle part of it. Like, there was no reason. Belfast being an hour and a half is perfect. That alone should push it higher than the spot. We're really talking about movie length on this episode. Josh, what don't you like about uh, Belfast as opposed to West Side Story? You know, it's too short. (laughs) That's what I'll say about it. I was able to get up, make food, eat it, and come back, and nothing happened in West Side Story while I was gone. I actually, I I do kind of agree with you uh, in some capacity, Josh, that like, I I think Belfast could have gone more into its characters and more into its setting. Like, I don't know. At one part, I kind of like that it isn't 
too uh like self-focused it is just this little like nostalgic look back on childhood but i think that it could have benefited more from the world circumstance that is is taking place um at that time and i don't know maybe fleshing out the parents more because you really get a lot with like the kids and the the grandparents but uh, the people that are most impacted by what is going on don't really seem to be fully three-dimensional characters and uh i would have liked to see more like you know hard conversations and and things to discuss uh and to think about especially in today's current situation and in, in like political climate like i think a little bit more to chew on in terms of violence whether it be domestic or international uh, impacts the children that are being brought up within it but this movie didn't care to do those things uh what is the best scene in west side story josh i think there's a couple really great scenes um Anytime there's a large uh, dance number, I think they do a really good job at that. I think they casted like a lot of talented uh, people to do the dance numbers and stuff, and the uh, you know everything in the America song, like it's very vibrant. There's all these like great things going on in that scene. Um, even even little numbers like the uh, where Rift and Tony are fighting over the gun. That whole thing is really good and really well choreographed also. That was my favorite Spider-Man fight scene of the year. <laughs> yeah, the the lighting in this movie is a, it's a weird thing to talk about, but I think it's very good. There's a lot of shots, especially in the drugstore that have all these different colors going on and I I, I, like Spielberg, maybe it doesn't come close to his great movies, but I mean, if he if he if his career ended on this movie, um, that's fine because you could tell his heart was in it. He really went for it, and uh, I think it deserves a little more respect than uh, what Alton has given it this episode. <laughs> I don't think this deserves anything. I will say the production design and the lighting especially do feel very theatrical, but not in a way that pulled me out of the movie. It kind of just reminded me like, oh, yeah, I'm watching a musical. And then like the characters are singing like right at the camera. And I'm like, oh, well, that, that yeah, OK, I am watching a musical, <laughs> you know, like it, <laughs> it, it definitely doesn't shy away from its its source material. And I think that that makes it tasteful. I guess it's not afraid to be a musical because we have movies like La La Land where it forgets to be a musical halfway through and that really bugs me yeah i agree uh, i feel like the recent musicals that have been nominated for best picture uh in the past like decade or so have shied away especially in the third act of being what they set out to do yeah la la land's a great example yeah, this is coming from somebody who likes la la land i like la la land too i rewatched it recently and that was a bad idea <laughs> but anyway <laughs> there was a reason that west side story was a box office flop because it came out same time as spider-man like nightmare alley and it cost 200 million dollars yeah the budget was a hundred million dollars and they didn't even reach that all that effort for what a mediocre musical spielberg's last great movie all it's gonna say this and it's gonna win best picture <laughs> <laughs> i don't think it is but you're right it could if it wins best picture then that will definitely seal the downfall of the oscars that will seal it i don't think i'd bat an eye <laughs> drive made more money than this my guy why are we going up against box office for west side story of all things because it was supposed to be a huge thing. I've been seeing ads for an entire year and a half for this movie. Like I've been seeing ads for Morbius for like nine months and it's going to make $5. Who cares? 
It will probably make well over half a billion dollars. It'll make Venom money for no reason. Probably has like a 60 minute runtime. <laughs> what if Andy Serkis directed Morbius? They like brought him in to like finish the movie. He shadow directed it. <laughs> oh my God. Putting it to a vote here between uh, West Side Story and Belfast. We know Alden's heart is going with West Side Story here. Yeah, I side with the Irish. I don't know what you guys are doing. <laughs> Do you hate Puerto Ricans? Don't answer that. Jory's your only representative. I know more Puerto Ricans than Jory. Oh, that's good. That's good. You see, I would watch Belfast again in a heartbeat, but I think West Side Story is the better made movie, so I feel very conflicted. I think West Side Story is the better movie. Belfast can go here. But what did it do? Have cool set design? Like... Great cinematography, cool lighting. It made shooting in New York look viable again, even though it's really not, like, in terms of a, a period piece like this. I think it introduced a lot of great new talent, too. Like, I feel like we're gonna gonna see these people in a lot of movies maria is great like she has a awesome voice like she yeah rachel zegler is incredible that is my lock she will win best supporting actress i'm actually excited to see her as snow white like no cap yeah that was great casting mike faced is really really good in this movie too like i'm excited to see what he does next because he's done a bunch of indie movies and he has a background in theater so it's like sky's really the limit with the guy who played riff here like and arguably some of the best spielberg movies have great standout debut performances, whether it be E.T. or Empire of the Sun. Maybe Rift will be our next Robin. I think I'm accidentally a Spielberg hater. I think you just hate the 80s culture. No, I like the 80s culture a lot of the time. I'm just not a huge fan of, like, E.T. And Back to the Future? No, I don't really like Back to the Future. Do you like Terminator? No, he doesn't. I mean, not as much as you guys. Belfast at number six. Alden. Uh, you've, you've, you've put up West Side Story a couple of times. Top five? Is, is it going higher? Is there anything you have, uh, lower anyone else? Uh, let me see what we got left. <laughs> I guess Josh is the only one who can make a nomination here, because I also have West Side Story here. West Side Story is so low. It's alright, my number five got placed at ten. What is everyone's number sixes in general? Like, is something out of the top five right now? That is in West Side Story. You placed Belfast, which was my six. Belfast was also my six. Yeah, no, I only have my top four left. Sheesh. Um, yeah, I guess there's no fight here. I guess West Side Story will not make the top five. Good. <laughs> what? No, no, no. This is number five. Well, I'm completely fine with West Side Story making the top five. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think this would be a good good time to take a little break from ranking them. Is there any movie you saw this year that you thought should have gotten a Best Picture nomination? Shang-Chi. Oh, Pig. Let's give Nick Cage a nom. Fuck it. Uh, Zola, I know would never be recognized at the Academy, but that'd be f funny. Spider-Man. No Way Home. The, the Last Duel. I guess I saw a lot of movies that were like Oscar Beatty and then I also saw House of Gucci. I don't think that should have got a nom. The Green Knight? The Green Knight, definitely. Green Knight would have been a good one. I could see a scenario where you could throw In the Heights in there. Why not? I, I would have preferred In the Heights to be the musical representation of Best Picture than West Side Story. And I didn't even like In the Heights. No, I kind of did. I take that back. Yeah, I feel like my biggest one would be Pig, but not even for Best Picture. I think Nick Cage... Uh, could have gotten a nom for best actor, I think. I think Pig deserved a screen original screenplay nomination too. That's true. Also, Alex Wolf is isn't bad in that movie either. If they wanted to throw him into a supporting, I 
would have been fine with that. I'm really surprised that the tragedy of Macbeth didn't get a Best Picture nomination. Um, I get it's like Shakespeare, and that's not like, you know, for everyone. Yeah, I'm a little surprised too. Compared to the other Apple TV Plus exclusives, this was by far the best one. I thought the cinematography and the production design were freaking incredible. I don't know. I felt like the performances, like Denzel's really, really great in the movie. Francis McDormand is like great every year now. And uh, honestly, I'm kind of glad it didn't get more attention because I would have been exhausted to see Francis McDormand accept another Oscar for playing Lady Macbeth. I think I... For best original screenplay, I would have liked that to go to Zola. That would have been cool. Because I think it's my my fa- I think that's my favorite screenplay of the year. Yeah, the other screenplay that is getting a lot of traction now, which is a little late in the game, was the worst person in the world, which had a kind of similar like comedic with dramatic elements presentation in its screenplay. But I could see Zola in those ranks as well. I'm kind of surprised it it got completely ignored, but. I don't really know what the shortlists look like for the screenplay category. I wish that the uh, Writers Guild of America would be more like forward with the For Your Consideration campaigns, because I would love to read that Zola script, and I haven't seen it yet. I've seen the movie. I haven't gotten a copy of the script yet. Yeah, I'd be really interested in that script, too. Because I, I do think it's interesting taking something as modern as like a Twitter thread story and turning that into... Uh, a movie like that's that's pretty unique i feel like it would have been very funny if the suicide squad got a nom i don't think it necessarily deserved it but it would have been funny i think for makeup and stuff it it definitely could have oh yeah if the first one could win that one could at least get a nomination yeah i don't see why not i mean i'm surprised to see as many superhero movies nominated for visual effects especially ones that i don't think are particularly good yeah like i i thought shang chi was a fine movie when i finally like watched it, half of it on disney plus like the choreography and the action scenes was better than most mcu movies but those visual effects weren't oscar worthy visual effects like it felt like a slightly better visual effects palette than like black panther or something like that you know what's weird too is um I mean, we talked about this off recording with the Batman, but I'm surprised we don't see at least uh, one superhero movie at least every two years getting more score nominations. Because sometimes they are very good. Like, I really like the Batman score. I really like the Batman score. I am hoping for a nomination in 2023. Uh, You could have done it with Spider-Man, too. I mean, uh, I actually really like the score in that movie and the... Even when they mix the other things in it. Yeah, I was surprised to not see at least one superhero movie pop up in the scores category. I mean, that's a good point. I feel like that time is coming. I mean, I think the line is being blurred every year between the categories. Like, I I don't know. I mean, three years ago, we just had Joker win best score. And I mean, it's not a superhero per se, but it's it's a DC movie. Yeah, it's pretty edgy. And the score was like, fine. There's better, like, DC movie scores. Yeah, that's true. That's true. The Danny Elfman scores are so good, I hope they get more appreciation over time if they start nominating, uh, you know, a bunch of random superhero movies that are being made now. I don't want them every year, but if there's a standout, like The Batman or something, yeah, throw them in there. Why not? All right, well, we have four more movies to go. We've got, in no particular order, Dune, Drive My Car, Licorice Pizza, and The Power of the Dog to determine the best picture, or at least our take on what the the best movie of uh, the uh, best pictures of 
2022's Oscars are. That order isn't quite what I have, but I'm fine with that order. Uh, I don't remember the order in which I read it. <laughs> I don't either. Yeah, Dune, Drive My Car, Licorice Pizza, and The Power of the Dog. Uh, I don't have Dune at four. Spoiler alert. I don't have Dune at four either. Me neither. I was going from first to fourth the way you read that. Um... <laughs> Oh, okay. Uh, so you have Power of the Dog here? I mean, I have it at five, so yes. Holy shit. Okay, let's hear it. I don't know. It felt a little dry. Definitely. They were in a desert. It looked pretty good. I just didn't care about a single character. Interesting. I, uh, I, I did. I liked the cast of Power of the Dog a lot. I think it's, uh, like, the way that the story's broken up into chapters doesn't really help it. Doesn't really help it. Like, I think of, like, other movies that are segmented like that, like... Uh, middle of chapter two, or whatever, it feels like there's a huge time jump. Mm-hmm. The, the passage of time in this movie is completely incomprehensible. You can tell it's based off of a book. Yeah, yeah. I really like the way that this film used, um, like, its, its cinematography as, like, a, a language in its own. Like, uh, I think that the, like, lens variety and the composition of a lot of these... Uh, shots, especially the ones with like cowboy type shit, like herding cattle and stuff, and like the mountain ranges in this movie look freaking beautiful. Like, there's a lot of uh, things that I appreciate about this movie, and like the fact that this dickhead Benedict Cumberbatch character is like this like overeducated and overqualified guy who knows nothing better to do but be a ranch because the only lasting impact he's ever had in his life is with the guy who taught him how to be a ranch hand. And I think that like that that characterization, as indirect as it is, makes the second and like subsequent viewings of this movie a lot stronger for me because it's so implicit in everything that's going on. It isn't the best watch, especially the first time. But I have liked this more each subsequent viewing. And there's people like uh, George Kubis, Josh's dad, who, uh, <laughs> you know, watched this movie on Netflix and were like, I have to watch this again right away. Uh, I'm not even going to get up to use the restroom. I'm just restarting it. Not, I respect that a lot because I, I feel like the accessibility of this movie is one of its best things going for it. Um, yeah. It being a Netflix movie, but having such strong visual language and honestly, such incredible sound design as an audio nerd. That's true. I love the way that this movie sounds. I think the score is pretty good, too, but the, the sound design itself is really, really nice. I just I really appreciate how... How well it conveys how nice New Zealand looks. Josh, we're shooting picking up the pennies in New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. I was able to follow it just fine. Like, yes, it was very accessible. I, I just, I don't know. It, I, my only complaint with it is the characters weren't for me. But everything else is very good with it. Josh, what's your take on Power of the Dog? As uh, somebody who watched the last half hour, um, I really had no idea what was going on. Um... Kristen Dunst looked like she had a really good performance, and I've never really liked her in anything. Did you watch the part where she gave away the the hides to the Native Americans, and they gave her gloves, and then she, like, starts tripping balls and falls over in the woods? They gave her of gloves, and, uh... <laughs> <laughs> that was a weird scene to watch out of context, I bet. <laughs> yeah, I was so confused. Um, I could see why it's the odds-on favorite. It looks like it has a lot of really good performances and stuff. I feel like the hype has died down from it. I feel like there was a lot of people talking about Power of the Dog, like, months ago. And as we get closer to the Oscars, I'm hearing, like, everyone just talk about everything else. Yeah, I think that's definitely one thing that's hurting um, these 
like the the typical Oscar released movies, like the films that come out in like December and stuff like that, with them prolonging awards season all the way to like the end of March. It's uh, it's really hurting movies that are like early favorites, which I mean, Power of the Dog wasn't even like an early favorite, like early favorite in this context was like Coda and King Richard, <laughs> like Power of the Dog came out in fucking December. Like, like this movie was out for a while. The the full steam ahead on the four year consideration campaign has definitely dwindled out. It's odd seeing people talk about Belfast now because it came out like the same week, I think. But for whatever reason, there's more stuff about, oh, this like, you know, good child performance and all the like chemistry between the cast and, you know, Judy Dench and like, yeah, all that. It's weird to see people talk about that stuff now more than Power of the Dog. But I think that's honestly one of the things that hurts about it being so accessible. It just resting on Netflix. Unless you watch a bunch of Kino on Netflix, I feel like this probably isn't even showing up in your recommended anymore. It was showing up in mine next to The Harder They Fall, which I feel like I might like better, but I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, that was really weird for Netflix. They have two westerns like in a row like that. Almost like the same week or something. It was back to back. There's definitely people that are getting those movies like mixed up right now. I mean, Power of the Dog, I mean, I guess it is like a Western in the sense of it's like a frontier movie, but there's not really anything going on with like Law and Order or Justice or, uh, you know, Vengeance, anything like that. It's a very slow character drama. Its aesthetics are Western, I guess you would say, but... I don't get why Sam Elliott had his panties in a twist on this one. <laughs> if you're scrolling through, like, Netflix, it, uh, those two are gonna look very similar. Which is, like, the worst thing a streaming service could do. Like, why? <laughs> yeah, they've definitely pushed The Harder They Fall to me more than Power of the Dog. What's a more entertaining movie? <laughs> you also probably watched Sorry to Bother You a bunch of times this month. Not on Netflix. Oh, damn. Netflix is listening to our podcast, and they know how much you appreciate it. It's why they put Shrek on there for you. Thank you, Netflix. March was the month of Alden on Netflix. Sorry to bother you and Shrek 2 dropping same day. (laughs) (laughs) Too bad I hate Netflix. The movies that I have here, um, at number four, I have Licorice Pizza. I agree. Um, I like Licorice Pizza a lot. Uh, I I think that the, the meandering kind of story... Uh, is awesome. I like that each little scene or couple of scenes is like its own little vignette, summer long uh, story of these two characters that are, uh, you know, their their chemistry is kind of the centerpiece of the movie, but I don't think their relationship is, if that makes sense. I really dig that you've got you Gary, who's this freaking 15 year old who acts like a 40 something. And then you've got this, like, 25-year-old who has no idea what she wants to do with her life. And I found her extremely relatable. And her kind of more self-destructive tendencies and, like, questionable decisions are uh, really, like, fascinating. And it's cool to kind of see her go from, like, hating herself for hanging out with a bunch of 15-year-olds and driving them around to, like, no, I'm important now. I'm getting into politics. And, like, it feels relatable. And I also think that this movie does a really good job with its setting. It, It does the kind of same thing that, like, movies like Once Upon a time in Hollywood do where they they set it in a specific area in a specific time period but then they build out the like the soundtrack and the sound design around like a genuine take on what those would look like whether it's a TV playing in the background a song on, on, on in the car radio like 
those elements really give this movie like a, a sense of like liveliness to it. And I'm surprised that neither uh, Alana Haim or uh, Cooper Hoffman received any nominations in any like guild or uh, award show. I thought that they were both fantastic for debut performances, especially Alana Haim. And it was cool that they like I, the relationship between Paul Thomas Anderson and her with uh, him producing all of her music videos and, you know, Haim's music videos is really cool. And uh, I like that the whole family like came out for the movie and stuff like that. The, her sisters are played by her sisters and bandmates and uh, her parents are played by her parents. Like this movie's really charming. I, I like it a lot. I don't think it's PTA's best work, but it's certainly not his worst either. Jared Leto says he doesn't think movie theaters would still exist without films. What? Okay. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> it's, that's, not, that's the title of the article. What? This has to be a meme, but I don't think it is. I think one thing that's really nice about Licorice Pizza, too, is it's a pretty standard, you know, dazed and confused, almost famous type, like, uh, coming of age, just, like, passing of time movie. I like how uh, this movie has the vibe of like you could turn it on at pretty much any point and just like enjoy it uh for what it is like there's not any major set pieces or major plot points that like you would miss and be like oh i didn't get to see that scene like you know sometimes when you're flipping through channels or something like that and like wolf of wall street's on tv but like you miss the quaalude scene and you're like "Mm, do i really want to watch like him drinking non-alcoholic beer yeah i kind of do but like you know there's kind of like that like subconscious like oh i missed this part i don't know what my favorite part of this movie is but i do know i'd watch it anytime what do you think alden i think liquor's pizza here is just a little too low i think it's right where it should be okay well alden what do you have at number four then is this power of Dogland? yeah power of the dog is my next lowest because nightmare alley was my four holy shit i got pretty high okay Licorice Pizza versus Power of the Dog. I think Power of the Dog is definitely a more uh, prestigious movie. I know that sounds pretentious, but I think that it's definitely trying to convey a message and it's trying to say something, especially about people that are as deeply narcissistic and cynical as uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's character is in that movie. If Licorice Pizza is trying to say something, I'm concerned what it's trying to say so (laughs) there's not really like a message that i can take from that movie i was kind of surprised because everything i saw either articles or trailers or whatever it just seemed like that would be awkward throughout the movie and it wasn't there wasn't anything that seemed it just didn't seem as disgusting as i thought it would yeah because the two main characters are more friends than anything, and that's fine. I don't I don't ever feel like I'm not watching a movie watching this, you know? Like, it feels very, like, this is the Hollywood way that this would play out. Not that that's a bad, like, I I don't know. Yeah. I think if the, the gender roles were reversed, it would be really problematic. <laughs> because it's an older, like, young lady and a child man like boy thing but like that's the thing too is like he's the one who comes off as like the more dominant and instigating one because he is like a 40 year old man trapped in a 15 year old's body i don't know it's a weird it's a weird situation he's the problem causer sort of out of all the movies on this list uh these two characters are kind of the only ones throughout these 10 movies that i care about that's interesting. I, I had a lot of fun just writing through that. It was, I don't know. 
I just feel like Best Picture doesn't need to be pretentious necessarily. That's true. And Power of the Dog is great. It may have a cool message, but like it's still dry. There are great performances in it, but for what? Whereas Licorice Pizza is a bunch of people who kind of don't have huge names in Hollywood and they're outstanding. I do like the Sean Penn scene a lot. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much just great parts of this movie that really not not whole lot that we've placed thus far kind of competes with. I mean, shit, you're selling me. Josh, uh, between uh, my defense for the power of the dog and Alden's defense for licorice pizza, how are you voting? This is tough because I'm kind of going by just how I would assume I like power of the dog. I think it, it, you would like it a lot. Yeah, I don't want it. I don't want either one of these to be the number one. I think I think if one goes, the other one is right after. I don't necessarily agree, but I mean, I don't think with I don't agree with that either. One of these is my number one. Huh. Hmm. Damn, this is a missing link episode. Alden's very passionate about it. I mean, realistically, out of I haven't seen two. The movies. The movies. The movies good. I didn't think it was great. The movie meanders a lot and i get that's the point some bits were good some i thought just weren't so i guess that's my issue with it i like the part where their truck runs out of gas and they're driving in like reverse down the fucking valley and like that that part was cool (laughs) yeah that was intense my issue is licorice pizza was not in my top three or anything but i also don't have a very strong opinion on Power of the Dog, so I'm kind of stuck in the middle here. Yeah, I don't see it winning. Uh, this list or Best Picture? Well, I guess I could see Power of the Dog winning Best Picture, just because it is a little pretentious. <laughs> I mean, we've had non-pretentious movies win Oscars. Last year was Nomadland. That movie was pretentious as fuck. We had Judas and the Black Messiah last year. We had Mank. We had Sound of Metal. Okay, there's been 90 years of Oscars. Um, Parasite. I wouldn't say Parasite is. Um, It depends on, on who you are in the audience. I don't think The Departed is. No, you're right. The Departed's not. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like we've kind of gone on this trend of specific undertones that when Empower the Dog kind of has that, whereas Licorice Pizza is just a good movie. I, I'm fucking sold. I don't care what you say, Josh. I want Licorice Pizza to win, so. Alden, 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 uh, big-brained me. All right. Power of the Dog at number four. The top three, the three best movies left are Drive My Car, Dune, and Licorice Pizza. Uh, what do you guys, uh, see here? Josh, how about you? Of these three movies, uh, which one do you want at the bottom? Drive My Car, I unfortunately missed it. I was so close to watching it, too. I just couldn't i was too tired but from what i've heard about drive my car and the praise that it's gotten i think i will really like drive my car like i said before licorice pizza is cool i don't know i just think it's it's good if it didn't get a nom like it wouldn't even phase me like i wouldn't even like comment about it i wouldn't even call it a snub and if drive my car didn't get nominated because of all the praise it's gotten and how even pre-oscars i've heard people talk about this movie that's a snub then. So I guess that's where I'm going here when we're talking about best picture nominations, the best of the best. What are people talking about? Drive My Car should probably go above it. But I'm also 
I rather lean it towards you, Nate, because you've seen Drive My Car. Yeah, I do want to hear your take on it. I'll give my thoughts on Drive My Car real quick. I uh, I really like the setting of like this movie, like the premise, I guess you would call it. The actor who like tragically lost his wife a couple of years ago, but he he's set to direct this like remake of a stage play. He uh, like befriends his like PA that's driving him around. Uh, and the movie's kind of told in a bunch of like like conversations between them in his car, and then like as he's telling a story, it'll go into like a flashback of like back when he was with his wife. And uh, this movie is like has a really interesting like premise and a really interesting setup. And I like how both characters you go into their backstories and you go through like what what they're dealing with. And then you see them interacting and this movie meanders actually quite a bit in the same way that Licorice Pizza does. Um, And it's even longer. It's another it's three hours long, almost even. Um, But I I really enjoyed how uh, slice of life it was, even if these characters are, uh, you know, one of them's like a a celebrity and a name. And there's an interesting scene where, um, you know, he kind of gets like harassed by. Uh, like paparazzi and stuff like that. Despite all of that, you you see the person. You don't see the the character. You know, if you put like a Leonardo DiCaprio in this role, everyone would just be commenting about how good he's looking, and then Josh would hate the movie. The fact that this movie uh, is it's very self serious, but at the same time, it it feels really genuine. Uh, I have it at my number two. I think it's a great film. I don't think it's for everybody. I think the slower pace and the character focus stuff lends itself more to a, like a, what people associate as like a mini series now. Like if this was just three one hour episodes of a mini series, I feel like this would get a lot more attention from uh, specifically people our age. Yeah, it's it's a great movie. I don't know. I think the script is probably better than the like movie it's, itself. Like I, I really really dig the the writing there's a couple of scenes that i i don't dig like that paparazzi scene i mentioned like the guy like assaults the photographer and then gets like jailed temporarily and it feels a little like over the top like like a little much for the situation and for the setting but i do like how you learn uh about these characters backstories and like the trauma and the things that they're they're going through themselves uh and it's presentation wise the the cinematography and the, um, I guess, like, how grounded in reality the movie is. Like, I kind of forgot in a couple of scenes that I was, like, watching a movie, if that makes sense. Like, I just got so immersed. It was like you're sitting there, like, having a conversation with a friend or, like, listening in on two people talking at the other side of a restaurant. And uh, I think that that's very, very good writing, uh, especially considering the fact that I have to read the words on the screen. Like, the, the immersion factor for me... Uh, this is better than other foreign language films that have uh, crept their way into the best picture category in recent years. For the sake of, like, drop the language barrier, I think anyone would uh, relate to at least one person in this movie. Whereas, like, a movie like Parasite or, um, you know, The Artist or something like that, which is, you know, different, but th- those movies feel very self-serving. Like, like Parasite's more or less just a, a commentary on classism. So, like, if you're a part of one of those two camps, specifically lower middle class or wealthy, like, upper class, then you know, you're probably not going to like the way that you are portrayed in that movie. 
But if you're someone who's lower class or upper middle class, then you're going to be like, I don't really know where these characters are coming from. So this movie, the fact that it is about trauma, it is about loss, it's about grieving, but it's also about overcoming those things. I think just about anyone can relate to that. I like this movie a lot. I really want to rewatch it. So hopefully... Hopefully we have a little movie night where we all watch Drive My Car Together and cry. <laughs> what are you doing this Sunday? <laughs> yeah, no, I really wanted to watch this movie. I just, for some reason, I guess the three-hour length kind of turned me off of making it a priority. The four Spy Kids movies and Shrek 4 had to take precedence. That, those were easier watches because they're all around an hour and a half. So I could just up and do something else or not have to pay attention in the slightest. Especially Shrek 2, I've seen that so many times. Welcome back to Duel the Takes, reviewing runtimes in movies. It's a huge factor. I, I try uh, going to see a movie with people all the time and they're like, how long is it? And they're, they literally will say no if it's over an hour and a, or two and a half hours. Get better friends. I don't know what you just said. But anyway, um, did we make a decision? Uh, my number three is Dune. Whoa. Licorice Pizza was my four and Drive My Car is my two, so uh, that's where I'm coming from. Hmm, okay. I would like to see anything but Drive My Car placed here personally, but because you guys haven't seen it, I really can't, like, I, I gave my whole take. I gave my, my letterboxed review for Drive My Car, so uh, that's about all I can really defend if you guys want to place that here. It sounds like a Power of the Dog situation. What was your number one? My number one is Power of the Dog. Oh, okay. Honestly, Josh, like, I can understand both Liquor's Pizza and Dune. I would like neither of them to go here, but I understand. I've already sacrificed my number one. I can sacrifice my number two. I'm just the pretentious one, and we've known this for years. <laughs> my number one and three are were eliminated a while ago. This is my top three. Dune is my number two, so I guess I'm just fighting for that right now. Fighting for my life. <laughs> well, let's keep it that way. Drive my car, liquor's pizza. Which would you rather see in third place? All right, well, unfortunately, I think I'm going to have to default to drive my car going here. I like liquor's pizza too much just to be going on a belief licorice pizza is definitely like a lot more like fun of a movie like i said you could kind of turn it on at any time at any point within the movie and probably really enjoy it and i you would miss a lot of nuance if you did that with drive my car plus there's not like a really great soundtrack driving that movie there's not fun cameos from a-list actors you know there's it's very much a, a drama first and then a story second and licorice pizza is very much just just a you know, a bunch of short stories really kind of sandwiched together with one central theme. So I, I see the take here. I, I think more people would like licorice pizza than drive my car. It makes sense, especially with the aversion to seeing Parasite from a lot of people that I knew. I don't see anyone seeing drive my car. I think it's wild that Dune's winning our uh, our list here. We've got Dune versus Licorice Pizza. <laughs> <laughs> so I think what Dune has over all of these movies nominated is longevity. There's a sequel coming out. I have rewatched this movie multiple times already. Dune will be, at least for us, um, in the conversation for years to come. As far as these other films, even if they win Best Picture, like really cool if some of them win, but overall, are we really gonna care? At the end of the day, who cares about the Oscars? I bring it up a lot, but I don't really care. I think one thing that's kind of neat is how many of these are quote unquote accessible now, meaning that they're on a streaming service and you didn't have to go to a theater to see a lot of these before um, 
the Oscars happened. And I think like the push of a movie that's on a streaming service winning Best Picture would be pretty great. A couple years ago, like when Roma was nominated and it lost to Green Book, which was kind of tragic. You know, if Roma had won that year, I feel like the amount of eyes on Netflix first Best Picture win would have been really, really cool. I'm kind of hoping that that happens for Power of the Dog because... I feel like that movie got lost in the shuffle, you know, in terms of like, oh, this movie is out in December, but Benedict Cumberbatch is also in the Spider-Man movie that's in theaters. I'm going to go see the Spider-Man movie. It's like an Oscar caliber movie, but there's not really anything about it culturally, like you're saying, Josh, that's going to provide lasting power for that, except maybe the fact that if it does get that win, it might push uh, newer audiences to actually care. Um I just know that Netflix would do a big push after the movie wins again for people to watch it. And not that I think it's going to change anyone's life or anything, but I mean, I I kind of really dug the, the themes of that film. And I also think that the visual language and the sound design of that film are uh, a lot higher quality than most movies you would watch on a streaming service. And uh, since smaller movies like The Last Duel don't really make it in theaters anymore their home has to become streaming platforms at some point or another and i think dune did a good job of doing both a wide release in theaters and on hbo max i think that that's really cool but i also don't think that that movie is like a finished product i I don't know it ends right as it starts to get really really exciting it doesn't feel like the best movie of a year for me i think what dune does masterfully though um in the world of all this cape shit that even for the people that didn't like Dune, it's awesome you gave it a chance. It is really cool that this movie became profitable. It actually was a discussion for casual audiences, even if it was for only like a weekend, like whatever. At least people are like trying new things. I know Dune is a famous book that's been around, but for a lot of people, this is something different and, uh, like something out of the realm of what we usually get in movie theaters in modern times. And that made me hopeful more blockbusters uh, could be like Dune and give us something more creative. After uh, now a decade full of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and DC and all this other stuff. I also think it's interesting that a couple of people that I know, and I'm not going to say the names of the two guys I work with over at the Scary Box, uh, who have been on the show a lot recently, (laughs) but they can watch uh, 14 movies based off of intellectual properties a week, and they can hear the three of us go to the cinema multiple times to see Dune (laughs) and still not watch it. (laughs) I still think Dune had a hard time reaching mainstream audiences. Like, it was a commercial success, but I guess if there was one positive thing that would come from Dune winning Best Picture, which I don't really see happening, maybe Dune Part 2, yeah, I just don't think it has the, like, lasting impact currently that something like Lord of the Rings had. Uh, when those came out, like everyone was talking about those movies. They made a fuck ton of money. And like at the end of the day, they're, you know, book adaptations, they're high fantasy movies. And Dune does those same things very, very well. I just don't think Dune has like characters that people like that much. Spoiler alert in the sequel, <laughs> the characters that you do like, you're not going to like by the end of the movie, most likely. Not not everybody needs to be a like likable Marvel hero. Yeah. 
True. And also, like, I this isn't a new thing for, like, a main character to all of a sudden be... I mean, fucking Star Wars movies have made billions of dollars, and we all saw how Revenge of the Sith ended. Like, I'm not comparing the quality of the movie, but people can get behind following a character like Anakin Skywalker for a trilogy, only for him to be a fucking prick by the end of it. Joker did uh, almost win Best Picture. Joker did make a billion dollars. And stuff like that, like, like I said before, like, it kind of gives me hope that we could be more open to creative things, like, in the blockbuster sense. Like, we're always going to have A24 and all that, but... I hope. And it also helped that, like, in the wake of, like, everything that's gone on the past two years, like, it's cool that people were still interested enough, like, to go to the movies and see Dune. And if they didn't want to, it's on HBO Max. And I know that's, that was a that was a controversial topic uh, with the director and stuff, but I think at the end of the day, it did more positives than negatives. It brought some negatives, like I could see the quality of film and stuff that maybe it's one of those films you need a theatrical release, but it's just a different era now. That's just not how it is anymore. And I think more directors are gonna just like learn with that. And it will all depend on, cause I'm sure Dune 2 is gonna get a strict theatrical release run. It's gonna be interesting what that does. And it's also with the Batman having only a 45 day release uh, thing, that's gonna be a big test too. I'm, I will be interested to see what the Batman's HBO Max success is. They won't bring out any numbers, but I'm sure Warner Brothers will tell us if it's a success or not like they did all year last year. The Batman's gonna be huge once it hits HBO Max. And I mean, I know we made a big deal to go see Tenet. <laughs> And that movie was fine. I mean, it was a cool action spectacle. Would Tenet been okay if it released simultaneously on HBO Max? I think a lot more people would have been talking about it. I think it probably would have been a good call. But Dune was huge. Like, I made an effort to see that opening night. We made an effort to go watch it all together and see it in IMAX. Yeah. Dune's a big deal. And uh, it was cool to see a story that's that ambitious brought to the big screen and be so competent and well-made. I think it's leading with the most amount of nominations this year. Uh, No, second to Power of the Dog. No director nomination, which I think is absolutely insane. Yeesh. Wild. Probably the biggest snub of the year. I think so, too. Considering it's, well, I guess it wasn't advertised as a part one or whatever, but considering it was known to be a part one, the fact that it was nominated for Best Picture is interesting uh, because the Lord of the Rings one that won, that was a third movie, right? Yes. Yeah. And Star Wars was nominated being the first, kind of... They didn't know they were going to make a sequel, yeah. So it's interesting that it has enough buzz and it was well enough made that it got a nomination and i don't see it winning but the fact that this got it and dune part two may not get one is going to be really weird that's what's cool about it like i mean you could say dune's pretentious but i'm glad it got a nomination because i i think it's cool that the oscars used to have movies like the original star wars get a best picture nom yeah that they that should be brought back and like dune isn't like the biggest blockbustery movie but it's i think it's the step in the right direction like let's at least get one or two movies that was a success that people actually like want to see and talk about and that's not discrediting any of these other movies i think there just be there should be one or two nominations that actually like that people like really liked that they don't have to go out and watch like building up to the oscars like we just did which is which is fine i enjoy watching the best picture nominees every year but it's 
It's a lot to ask from a modern audience, like a like a, yeah. a yeah. average audience member to watch all ten of these movies, especially when five of them are really slow and depressing, two and a half hour long movies. <laughs> yeah, I'm cool with with Dune over Licorice Pizza. I I think I, I think Dune represents something bigger than what Licorice Pizza represents. Like I I really like Licorice Pizza and Blow for Blow. It's close. I I think Licorice Pizza is the more like enjoyable movie to like watch, but like the highs that Dune hits. Like, I know we talked about it at our end of the year uh, movies of 2021 uh, episode, but when they first see that sandworm, that is one of the coolest scenes in, like, the last five years of cinema. The way that it's portrayed, it's the best part of the score. It's really, it's really cool stuff. And the visual effects are firing on all cylinders for Dune. It's a a technical achievement. Yeah, like, visual effects-wise, when you see the the planets for the first time like it looks like you're staring at a painting it's uh it's crazy good yeah a great like theatrical experience i really hope the sequel's good and possibly dune messiah yeah i don't know about that but maybe (laughs) all right before we read our group list do you guys want to share your personal ones don't look up nightmare alley licorice pizza then it would go west side story uh dune and um Coda. Damn. Coda's your number one? It is. It's... I just, uh... I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, that's all I saw. I saw one, two, three, four, five, six out of the ten. Alden saw more than me. Uh, my top ten uh, movies, or I guess the best pictures of 2022 uh, nominations ranked is, uh, Coda, number ten. King Richard, nine. Eight, Nightmare Alley. Seven, West Side Story. Six, Belfast. Five, Don't Look Up. Four, Licorice Pizza. Three, Dune. Two, Drive My Car. And uh, my favorite for best picture is Power of the Dog. Alden. Alden Mason's. Alden Mason News. My ten, Don't Look Up. Nine is Coda. Eight is West Side Story. Seven, King Richard. Six, Belfast. Five, Power of the Dog. Four, Nightmare Alley. Three, Drive My Car. Two, Licorice Pizza. And one, Dune. Alrighty, and here is the group list. Uh, number 10, the least deserving for best picture is Don't Look Up, 9, <laughs> Coda, 8, King Richard, 7, Nightmare Alley, 6, Belfast, 5, West Side Story, 4, Power of the Dog, 3, Drive My Car, 2, Licorice Pizza, and uh, next week, Duel of the Takes will be uh, having their fingers crossed, hoping that Dune takes home best picture. I wouldn't even know how to react. Uh, it would be pretty similar to when uh, uh, Blade Runner 2049 won production design and cinematography would be my uh, my reaction. You're going to hit a dab in my living room? Yeah. <laughs> You're going to take a bus, <laughs> run down here and take a dab and leave? well uh thank you everyone for checking out the best oscars coverage that there is uh here on duel of the takes um let's see if this is the last oscars it might be will smith forever (laughs) josh uh you're you're pretty familiar with what's nominated what would be the showstopper for the academy awards if it if it wins an, an award like, of, of everything that's nominated, what would freak people out the most? What would turn off mainstream uh, audiences from ever checking into the awards show ever again? There's so many just mid-movies. I would argue all ten of these movies are mid. I feel like, it, I don't know if Don't Look Up would make somebody turn off the TV, but there'd be a lot of discussions about it the next day. Yeah. 
that would probably like break the internet or at least break letterbox letterbox and twitter simultaneously (laughs) yeah yeah i feel like that would be the one that would just raise so much debate which to me might not even be a bad thing even though i'm not a don't look up uh fan it would raise enough debate where it would keep the oscars relevant for at least one more year It's got to be better than last year, right? I hope so. Like, as a show? I mean, yeah, I think they're doing it in the theater again, so hopefully it'll feel like an Oscars. And we have a new host every hour. Are they not just sharing the mic? Are they rotating every hour? I, From what I've read, I think they're rotating every hour. I could be wrong. Yeah, because it's three hosts in three hours. Wanda Sykes' hour will be the best hour, even if she's just, like, announcing, like, costume and makeup and stuff like that, like... Oh, we're gonna get Ben Stiller dressed as a Navi again next year. Oh, hell yes! (laughs) All right, the Oscars must continue. (laughs) 